So great to be here with all of you this morning. My name is Matt, and it is just a thrill and an honor that I get to kickstart this brand new series with you this morning through the book of Revelation called Endgame. We put together a little trailer for you. Check this out. That makes me excited. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I should be like, all right, happy Sunday. Let's go home now, right? Like, whoa, we're, we're pumped for this. But I'm really excited because we are getting a chance to launch through an 11-week study in the book of Revelation where we're going to be taking a look at the future through the lens of what Revelation has to say. And it's going to be a great study. So make sure you're here every single week all the way through till Thanksgiving. But you know, as mankind, we have always been fascinated with the future. In fact, if you look it up in ancient Babylon, in China, and Egypt, they would use oracles to look into the future to make predictions. In Greek mythology, there was the goddess of destiny who would spin a wheel to determine your fate. And the Mayans, they would use astrology and mathematics to make predictions about the future. And even today, all over the world, people look to signs in the stars and horoscopes as omens for what their future will actually entail for them. And usually at the very end of the year, we always make predictions about what's going to happen in this next coming year. Maybe it's what's the stock market going to do to who's going to win the Super Bowl. And we make these predictions to see how we can benefit from them. Some of them are actually made based off of trends and some of them, well, they're just really good guesses as we start to look at that. But you know, Forbes magazine, every year they release an article that talks about their predictions of what's going to happen in the world for the next year. And when I looked at the 2020 predictions by Forbes for 2021, there were a couple of them that really stood out to me that I wanted to share with you this morning. Listen to this. In 2021, the age of digital transformation will explode and move to more intelligent systems that can think and respond on their own without human intervention. That's crazy. In 2021, the fitness experience will move virtual as a first choice. Things like the Peloton and virtual Zoom classes. In 2021, more of us will be tracked in everything we do than ever before as our identity will be defined as a digital presence and no longer as a physical presence. In 2021, the number of surveillance cameras in the world will surpass 1 billion. Currently, there were about 800 million last year. When I read some of these things, they're pretty scary. <laughs> they're pretty daunting to see that some of them actually are starting to come true. But as I read through these, I can't help but be comforted by the words of Abraham Lincoln when he once said this. He said, the best thing about the future, it comes one day at a time. Best thing about the future, it comes one day at a time. So what is next? What's next for you? What's next for me? What's next for our world? What's next for this church? And how do we as Christians, as believers, see everything that's happening in the world around us? All the horrible things that are unfolding every single day. How do we view these things and align them with the end times we keep hearing about? Or how do we make sense of it when we look at the book of Revelation? And so that's what we're really going to be looking at. The questions we're going to be answering over the next 11 weeks as we go through this series. And I just want to let you know that as we're going through this series, we're not looking at predictions from other people. Simply, we want to let the word of God preach. 
We want to get into scripture and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God is trying to warn us about, what God is trying to make clear to us so we can understand as we get closer and closer to these times. So you guys think you can have that open mind as we kind of continue into this? Awesome. So when we really start to look at this, you know, we're asking ourselves these questions, what is next? And there's a word of warning I need to give to you. People throughout last centuries and even beyond have tried to make these fanciful predictions about what's going to happen in the world. And they twist and distort some of the words of scripture to make their predictions come true. For instance, back in 1870, there was a minister who said after reading the Bible and the book of Revelation, I believe the Bible predicts nothing new can be invented from this point forward. He said this in 1870. Do you know how many inventions have been made since 1870? I actually looked it up. There have been over 901,000 patents for new inventions granted since 1870. He was slightly off, right? Just slightly off there. But he made this prediction because he was reading in scripture. He says, man, this is what I feel convicted about. This is what I see as a reality in scripture. So I'm going to make that prediction. And even though it sounds outlandish to us, it even was outlandish to the people back then too. He had a really close friend who went on record saying, I disagree with you, minister. In fact, I believe that within 50 years, man will soar through the skies like birds. To which he replied and said, careful, lest you be guilty of blasphemy because flight is reserved for the angels only. He says, it's such a sacred thing. Only angels could fly through the air. Now, the reason I tell you this story, and there's a point to it, is this. This minister's name was Milton Wright. He would have two sons by the name of Wilbur and Orville Wright, who within 30 years would actually soar through the sky out of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. True story. Look it up. It's crazy, right? But it's interesting because I share this story because people, they read into the Bible and they kind of take their own predictions, their own theology, their own theory, and they say, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to predict based off of what I am reading that this is fact, that this is truth. But what we want to do through this series is simply to remove that and look at what God is saying to us. Use scripture to help us understand scripture, to remove some of that fanciful predictions. But at the same time, we need to have an open mind because we're going to be reading some things the deeper we get into Revelation that seem way, way far out there. They seem outlandish. They seem like it could never possibly happen, but it could And so we need to have an open mind going into this, thinking maybe there is some truth to this. Maybe as we get closer to these end times, things like this could actually happen. Even I can't even imagine it in my wildest dreams right now. Can we commit to that? Love it. All right, great. So as we jump into Revelation, what do we kind of need to know before we really get started? Well, we know that the book of Revelation was written by a man named John, and he identifies himself back in chapter 1. And John, most theologians believe, was one of the 12 apostles of Christ. He was actually part of the inner grouping with Peter and with James. We know that if this is the same John, that he laid his head on Jesus's shoulder during the Last Supper. He was one of the first to run to the tomb where Jesus was buried. One of the first to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. I mean, John loved Jesus. So much so that he was moved by his teachings that that's all he wanted to do. He wanted to go out and tell people, to share with people the teachings of Jesus Christ. So he would go from city to city to town to town, just preaching and teaching the word of God everywhere that he could go. And he finally found his way to a place called Ephesus. Now, while he was in Ephesus teaching, there was this emperor in Rome by the name of Domitian. 
And Domitian hated the Christians. He hated the Jews and wanted to inflict as much pain and torture upon them as he possibly could. And he would do horrific things to Christians. And so one of the things that he would really try to do is after torturing them, he would exile them to the Sporades, which the Sporades is this group, an island of chains just off the coast of Greece. But if you were a more serious offender, such as someone who would commit murder or coin forgery or be guilty of practicing magic or prophecy, or somebody who was seen as a direct threat to Roman power or policy, you would be met with an immediate destruction, if you will. And so we know from a guy named Tertullian, who's a historian, he writes and he says that Domitian saw John preaching in Ephesus and tried to poison John, tried to kill him, but it backfired on him and it actually poisoned somebody else other than John. And so knowing that he lived, he then took John, captured him and immersed him in a vat of boiling oil to kill him which was a very common practice for Domitian to do to Christians, to dunk them in boiling oil. But John came out unscathed on her. And Domitian was beside himself thinking, man, I can't poison him. I can't boil him to death. What am I supposed to do with him? So he exiles him to the island of Potamos, or Potmos, which is part of the Sporades. It's this little six by 10 mile island, 35 miles off the coast of present day Turkey. And what's ironic about this is Potamos, it's actually a tourist destination today. There's hotels built on it. It's pretty crazy to think about. But when we open up Revelation in Revelation chapter one, this is where we find John. John's been through torture. He's been through pain. He's been isolated. He's been excommunicated. And now he finds himself about 90 years old on the island of Potmos. And he receives this vision from God where God says, I have saved your life for this very moment. I have kept you alive. I have been working with you and allowed you to survive all these horrible things because I have chosen you and only you to write down the vision which I am about to give you. And it's a crazy vision. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up and let's read Revelation chapter one, verses one through eight. And it's gonna be on the screens if you're in this room or if you're joining us online. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon Take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, and who is to come, the God Almighty. Man, there's some pretty powerful stuff there. But one of the things I think we need to notice right off the bat as we get into Revelation is simply this. 
Revelation, the book of Revelation, it predicts the future. I don't know if you caught what it called itself back in verse three. It said, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of what? The words of this prophecy. In fact, five different times in Revelation, it refers to this book as prophecy. It's not some allegory. It's not some fantasy. It's not poetry or prose or a haiku. It is predictive prophecy. It predicts the future. And the book of Revelation predicts more about the future of the end of the world and about the second coming of Jesus than any other book that exists in the Bible. It's pretty crazy to think about. Now, I know there may be some of you here this morning or watching online who are like, man, I don't know. Like, I just found out we're going through Revelation and I just kind of want to get up and leave. I don't like studying the book of Revelation. It's too scary. There's too many dark things that happen. Not only that, but it's an enigma. Like, I can't understand it. There's just so much symbolism and words and different things. Like, how on earth am I ever supposed to read this? And prophecy, it scares me. I don't know what to do with prophecy. I don't know how I'm supposed to take it or learn from it. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, if that's you this morning, I want you to know you're not alone. There's a long list of people out there who don't like the book of Revelation. In fact, there's two names you might recognize at the very top of this list. They both are from the 16th century. They're theologians, religious reformers. One of them is a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther despised the book of Revelation. He struggled with the book of Revelation. He actually struggled trying to consider if it's even scripture or not. And so he classified it in a group of books that he calls the anti-legomena, which is the disputed books of the Bible. He says, I'm disputing this book. I can't agree with what it says. I don't believe it's divine. I don't believe it belongs in scripture. And there was another guy by the name of John Calvin, who you may have heard before. John Calvin is very well known for writing commentaries on every single book of the Bible, except Revelation. And the reason why these guys disliked Revelation so much is they got into it and started reading through Revelation. They read stories about Jesus walking on the earth for a thousand years. And they said, oh, we don't agree with that. You see, they were millennialists. Millennialists don't believe in the physical reign of Christ upon the earth. And so they said, because I can't, wrap my mind around this because I don't really believe that this would happen. I can't really accept revelation as a real book of scripture. Even though it says it came from God, I struggle with that because it goes against what I think, what I view, what I feel. And so they disputed it and they kind of shied away from the prophecy that existed in revelation. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you've been shying away from prophecy because it's scary because you can't wrap your mind around it, because it's hard to really think about and understand. But I want to tell you this, we shouldn't be afraid of prophecy. Do you know why? Because over a fourth of your Bible of scripture is prophetic. In fact, 26.8% of the Bible is prophecy. And so I want to challenge you this morning, as we start reading through Revelation and we're reading about the prophecy that God is unveiling to us, that we wouldn't be afraid of it. Rather, we would choose to see it as one of the greatest attributes of God's character. Because God is all-knowing. God is all-loving. God is all-present. And it only stands to reason an all-knowing, all-loving, and all-present God could see the future and want us to know about it because he cares enough about us. He loves us enough that he doesn't want to see bad things happen to us. And that's how we should be viewing this not as something frightening, not as something terrifying, but rather God trying to warn us. 
saying, I love you. I care for you. I want you to be here with me. In order for that to happen, you need to know what's about to happen. The seriousness of what's going to happen in the world so you can be ready to embrace it. And so that's what John begins to see. And we know this because if you keep reading on, it says the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant what must soon take place. See that key word there is the word to show. God came to John and he is showing him this vision through signs and symbols and pictures. And as we get into Revelation, we're going to read things about bowls and lampstands and stars and beasts and even numbers like the number seven, which is mentioned 54 different times in the book of Revelation. And he wants to show us, he knows that we are picture-driven people, that we like to see things in front of us. He says, I'm going to reach you in your language. Here are things that you can see, that you can grasp, that you can understand, so you can be fully prepared for what's going to happen. And what is it that he wants to show us? Well, the rest of that verse says, to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, maybe some of you out there are struggling with that. What must soon take place? Pretty sure John doesn't know the definition of soon. Wasn't this book written like 2,000 years ago? (laughs) Obviously, he kind of missed the mark if he's saying the word soon. Well, what's ironic is if you actually look at the word he uses in the Greek, the word he uses is this word tacos. And if you heard the word taco, you're just ready for lunch, you're hungry, and you want to leave already, right? Because that's not what I said. It's this word tacos, right? And this word tacos is where we get our English word tachometer from. And if you know anything about cars, a tachometer is something that measures velocity, how quickly things accelerate, how quickly things speed up. And so he's saying, I want you to realize to look at the book of Revelation as a series of events that are rapidly speeding up because soon it will end. Think of it like a long train of dominoes that are stacked up. When you push the first one over, it slowly starts to topple. But the longer it goes on, the faster they start to fall. We, in our lives, are in this domino train. And these dominoes are starting to rapidly fall. And that's the illustration John's painting for us. He says, we are in this line and things are soon about to take place. But guess what? They soon will end. And you need to be ready when that last domino falls. And so I want you to be ready. So I'm going to show you what's about to happen. You see, Revelation, it predicts the future. It's all about prophecy so we can be ready for what's about to happen. But not only that, if we keep going, we know that the book of Revelation, it also promises a blessing. And this is so cool. If you look back in verse one, it said the revelation from Jesus Christ to show what God gave his servants what must soon take place. Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that offers a unique and a direct blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it, and to those who do it. This is so cool because if you look up the word blessing, blessing literally means to be made happy, to experience joy. And maybe some of you are out there thinking, okay, I can give you the whole tacos thing, right? Let's get besides the food real quick. I can understand the acceleration thing and the soon, I'll give you that. But come on, really? When we look at this, I, I don't understand what's really happening here. I mean, what, what does this really mean? How can I be happy when I read the book of Revelation? All I read is death, destruction, famine, pestilence, beasts, fire, right? This is a horrible, horrible book to be reading in. 
my response to you is keep reading. Keep reading it. Because the further you read into Revelation, what you realize, it's not a book of death and destruction. It's a book of victory. And it's victory because we win. We win because Jesus wins. Jesus wins because Satan loses. He is the biggest loser in the Bible. He's going to be incarcerated for a thousand years. I don't know about you. That gives me something to be excited about. That gives me something to be joyous about. And God, he wants to make it clearly known to us. Satan's going to do whatever he can to stop us from reading this because he knows he's the loser and he doesn't want to give in to the future that's being predicted for him. But God wants to make it clear. He doesn't want to make it some enigma. He doesn't want to make it hidden from our eyes. He's going to lay it out as plain as he possibly can for us to understand so we can grab a hold of it and hear it and do it. That's what we're being called to, folks. Not only does it predict the future, not only does it promise a blessing, but the third thing it does is it portrays a person. It portrays a person. And we actually saw that back in the very beginning. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest things the book of Revelation does is it highlights a particular individual. A lot of people think it's the Antichrist, but it's not. It's Jesus Christ. And when we see that, we become overwhelmed by it. Because it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now the word revelation in the Greek is this word apocalypsis. And it's where we get our English word apocalypse from. And when we hear the word apocalypse, our English language, it does us a disservice. Because we think of things like the movie Apocalypse Now. Or dystopian literature, the ends of the world and all these things, right? But that is the furthest away from the word that John is actually using here. If you look up the English definition of apocalypse and the Greek definition that John is using here of apocalypse, they are two completely different things. Merriam-Webster defines apocalypse as the final, total, and complete destruction of the earth. In the Greek, the word that John uses here for apocalypsis, it means an unveiling, a revealing, not something that's being hidden. It's a disclosing. It's making something known to you, a revelation before your very eyes. It says, this is the revelation, not the end of the world because of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus revealing to you what's about to happen so you can get ready for it. So you can be prepared for what is about to happen. But not only does it reveal to us the end times, it also reveals to us who Jesus is and how we're going to experience Jesus in these end times. And the book of Revelation does this great job of kind of painting out how we see Jesus. Take a look at the summary on their screen real quick. Chapters one through three, Jesus evaluates his church as a priestly king. He's going to come as a king and evaluate the church. Chapters four through five, Jesus is in heaven as a glorified lamb of God. Chapters six through 18, Jesus is going to judge all of the earth. Chapter 19, Jesus comes back as the king of kings and Lord of lords. Chapter 20, Jesus runs on the earth with the church. And chapter 21 and 22, Jesus will illuminate heaven with his glory. See, we get a beautiful picture of Jesus through the book of Revelation. Now, keep in mind, John is in his 90s as he's writing this. It's been six decades since he has physically seen Jesus in the flesh. And you think about John trying to write about what he remembers of Jesus, that's a pretty daunting task, right? I have a hard time remembering what happened last week. John's being called to remember things 60 years ago, right? But Jesus is revealing a brand new image of himself to John to understand. And it's this beautiful picture. Take a look at this in verses 9 through 16. It says, I, John, 
your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatra, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like that of the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Man, that's a powerful image of Jesus. And what I find so interesting about this is this is the only place in your entire Bible where we actually get a depiction of what Jesus looks like. You know, for centuries, artists all around the world have tried to scratch their heads to figure out what would Jesus have looked like when he was on the earth? How should I draw him? How should I paint him? And because of that, we have all of these Western images. My favorite is the one on the bottom left, right? Jesus, the father tattoo. Man, they were skilled even back then, right? He just kind of looks creepy there. Um, but nevertheless, we have all of these fanciful ideas of what we think Jesus may look like. But John, John knew Jesus. John had experienced him in the flesh. He knew the intricate details of Jesus's face. And yet he's writing about a completely different vision he is seeing. It's not an earthly Jesus. It's a glorified Jesus. In all of his glory, in all of his radiance, in all of his splendor, he starts to write about him. And he can do that because it says that on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Now this can mean one of two different things. On the Lord's day could simply mean on Sunday, I received this vision from God and I knew what he looked like. So I wrote it down. But some scholars believe that this means that I was in the spirit until the day of the Lord, which the day of the Lord then becomes symbolism for the end times this final moment in history where John was catapulted in the spirit all the way to the end. And now he is seeing Jesus right then in that moment. And so now he's starting to write about exactly what he has seen, exactly what he's being able to get this vision of, of God in his full glory. And it's presenting Jesus in all of his divineness, his divinity. If you notice, it says that his eyes were like flames of fire. See, that's symbolic of his penetrating gaze. That he can look into our hearts. He can look into our souls. He knows everything about us. And because of that, he wants to help us. He wants to save us. He wants to show his love to us so that way we don't suffer and have to meet these things that the book of Revelation says are coming. But not only that, it also says in verse 15 that his feet are like bronze glowing in the furnace, right? And I love these two pictures because out of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them point back to Old Testament symbolism. You know, in the Old Testament, fire and bronze were symbols of God's judgment. And we would see this in the altar setup. The altar would have been made of bronze and it would have come into the tabernacle in the courtyard and eventually moved into the temple and people would light a fire on top of the altar. And they'd bring their offerings, their sacrifices down because this place of bronze and fire is where sin was dealt with. 
where sin was judged. And God is giving this vision, this symbolism to John. He says, guess what? There's a judgment that's coming and you need to be ready for it. I don't want you to be caught off guard by it. I want you to be ready for it so that way you can live. That's why I want you to hear it. I want you to read it. Not only that, I want you to do it because this has the power to save your life. So what does this mean for us? As we go through the next 11 weeks through the book of Revelation, how are we supposed to process this? This is just a taste this morning in the introduction and part of chapter one. We're gonna get into so much more as we go down, but what does this really mean for us? Well, I think as we go through the book of Revelation, it should produce a response in our lives. It did for John. I mean, just look at how the book of Revelation ends. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. See, folks, if you had any question about God's intent to make things known to us, the answer is right there. What does he say? He says, the mystery is this. This is the book of Revelation. He says, people have been wondering about this for all of lifetime, but here it is as plain as day, as clear as I can say it to you. Here it is. Be ready for it. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to scratch our heads at and say we don't understand. He's going to make it clear to us every single step of the way if our hearts are ready to listen. And when our hearts are ready to listen, it has a change inside of us. See, when John heard this, when John got this vision, man, it challenged him. It changed him. It floored him and it took him to his knees. And I think any time that we start to study the book of Revelation, that we come face to face with the glory of God, man, that should be our response and our knees in humility and in worship before God. And this is the image that we need to have of God as we enter into the book of Revelation. You know, Corrie ten Boom, who was a survivor of the Nazi war camps, she once said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. And that's my prayer for you as we study Revelation that you would be willing to trust God. As we read things that are terrifying, as we read things that are overwhelming, we're going to read about fiery serpent or scorpions, about snakes. We're going to read about beasts and about giants and about dragons and pestilence and disease and famine and war. And it's going to be overwhelming. But we're also going to read about God's plan for the future and what God wants to do, what God wants to reveal to us so we can be ready so we can be prepared for it. So what's next? What's next for us? Well, I think it's that as we go through Revelation that we would adopt and that we would really take on this new view of Jesus. Because some of us, we desperately need a new view of Jesus this morning. Some of us have been holding on so tight to that little baby Jesus in the manger, so innocent and sweet. That's the picture we have in our mind of him. Some of us see Jesus teaching and walking through the streets, having fellowship with people, offering forgiveness and mercy and grace and peace. 
Some of us see Jesus still hanging on the cross, nailed for our sins, suffering so we might live. But there's more to this story. We see that in Revelation, it says, I not only was, but I am, and I still am to come. And he is going to come, and there's going to be a time of judgment that we need to be ready for. He doesn't want to be caught off guard. He doesn't want us to be left out. He wants us to prepare ourselves, to read it, to hear it, to do it, so we can be ready. That we can find that fellowship and that grace, that mercy, that love in him, aside from his judgment. So what's next for us? Well, maybe it's this morning to really reevaluate our relationship with God. Maybe for far too long, we've been coming to church just listening to the worship music and being completely disengaged or sitting there as the pastor speaks thinking, man, how long is he going to go? Because now all I can think about is taco. (laughs) But maybe it's time that we start to say, hey, you know what? Maybe God really is trying to show me something. Because what I see in the world right now, it's scary. It's overwhelming. It's daunting. And the more that I see things happening there, the more revelation becomes real to me. Maybe it's time that I reevaluate my relationship with him. Maybe it's time I start taking this whole faith thing seriously. Maybe that's your first step this morning. The next what if for you is what if you were to start to really engage your faith more? What if you were to really start to trust Jesus more? What if you really were to get into scripture and read it more and see how it changes your life? What if you could get ready for one of the greatest endings in the world and be prepared for when it comes? Because Jesus doesn't want to see you suffer. He doesn't want to see you fall away, and that's why he's making it clear to us this morning. And as we go through Revelation, I pray and I hope that that's my challenge to you, is that you take this seriously, that you trust God in the midst of your confusion in the midst of something that may not make sense and know that God knows best. He knows what he's doing and he wants to protect us every step of the way because he loves us and he wants to help us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, your work speeds volumes this morning. God, I know how daunting it can be for us to enter into revelation. Father, as we begin to see the reality of what's gonna happen in the world around us as we've already started seeing some of it, Father. But God, I pray that you prepare our hearts. God, that you allow us to reach out to you and trust you more. God, that in our lack, that we would turn to the one who fills that lack. Father, you're the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega, the first and the last. You know everything from the beginning. You predicted it. Father, you give us exactly what we need to know. You reveal it to us. You detail it for us. But above all of this, Father, you want us to know that you love us, that you're there for us. And you proved your love for us by sending your son to shed his blood upon the cross to cover over our sin. Father, I pray that we would just recognize that this morning. Father, that we would start to take this seriously. Father, this be a wake-up call in our lives that we would reach out to you, that we would grab a hold of you in a way we never have before. Father, and seek you in the midst of this, because it can be frightening. 
but Father, to be reassured that there's victory in you. Father, you don't owe us anything. Father, we're not here for that blessing, but God, we are here just to be saved by you, even though we don't deserve it. Father, I pray that's the cry of our hearts this morning, God, that we would just want you more. We would just grab a hold of you more in everything that we do. Prepare our hearts for this series, Father. Open our eyes to see your truth. I pray this in your name.